Hello everyone, my name is Rivka Campbell and welcome to Rivkush. Rivkush is a CJN podcast where you will hear JOCs talking about a range of Jewish topics. Today my guest is Noah Shofatinsky. Noah has recently graduated with his degree in Judaic Studies and he is also known by the name of Westside Gravy. I happen to love Westside Gravy's work. Some of his preeminent songs are Diaspora, Angry Black Man, that both had me hooked from the get-go. One of the things about Noah is as an artist, he combines not only his passion for music, but he also combines his lived experience as a Jew of color in the United States and various other cities. So today, I would like to welcome Noah to the podcast. You need to tell me the background behind West Side Gravy. That's the million dollar question. I need Everyone to know. Everyone is it. asking. I need so, to know it. Can you share? I'll share part of it. The West Side is is because I grew up mostly in San Diego, California. I moved around a bunch because my dad was in the US Navy for most of my childhood. And we always ended up back in San Diego. Okay. Uh, so that's what the West Side's for. And I think that West Coast influence played a lot. It like played a lot into my music and the music that I create and uh, really shaped my sound. So that's sort of a, a reference to that. But the gravy, that's still top secret. I can't let it, I can't oh, let it come out. On. You know, <laughs> and, and I'm probably not cool enough to even figure it out. <laughs> Honestly, a lot of people have had a lot of guesses, but I have to start, sort of adopt the Israeli foreign policy, neither confirm nor deny, just to make sure it's it's quiet regardless. <laughs> that works for me. Since you put it that way, I'm just going to continue to speculate, but I'm not going <laughs> to interrogate. Okay. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up Black and Jewish in San Diego and all around the U.S. of A. So for me, always the first thing that pops into my mind when I think of like, how was it growing up Black and Jewish is that it was great. And I think that the reason for that is because I grew up like the interactions that I really value are the interactions I had with like my family. And they were always people who, you know, shaped an environment that I was able to fully embrace who I am as a person unapologetically and connect to my roots. Um, so that was like my first experience with knowing what it means to be black and Jewish. And I think the other part of that is they really did a good job of preparing me for the fact that I'm would have to face a lot of bigotry growing up. So you know, from a young age that explained to me, you know, you're going to have to deal with anti-Semitism, you're going to have to deal with racism, you're going to have to deal with double standards, and you're going to have to work, you know, double the amount twice as hard as some, some of your peers because of your identity. But that's not an excuse for you to still not achieve greatness, because everyone in my family and all my ancestors did the same thing, and they got me to where I am today. Um, so at the same time that they got me ready for like the negative and, and more heavy aspects of it, they also made sure that there was always something to celebrate about it. And I think a lot of that came from music too. Like it came from listening to, to say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud and being taught, yeah, yeah, you better sing along to those lyrics and me getting excited to sing along to those lyrics uh, when my mom would play, play that music. So for me, I think that there's a really good balance between being you know, conscious of things I'd have to deal with in the world and also just being happy about who I was, who I that, am. 
That is awesome. And I think what you said, it just resonates so beautifully because I think often when we talk about black and Jewish, it's there's this tinge of, oh my God, it must have been so, so hard. You know, it's like I remember back in the day, that's what they used to say about biracial children. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you don't want to bring biracial children into the world because it'll be very difficult for them. And it was always that kind of negative spin on it, as opposed to uplifting the positivity. Sure, recognizing that there are people out there who won't be cool with it, but that doesn't mean it's not cool. Yeah. And it sounds like your family really, like you said, they they really balanced it and really showed you that there is, it's more a case of there is strength in who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and it sounds like they taught you the tools to deal with those detractors, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like to that point about it, they, like the emphasis always like, oh, it's going to be so hard. I mean, there I've definitely have had difficulties even from a really young age. Like I've dealt with anti-Semitism. My first mm-hmm. experience with that, I was in like kindergarten or first grade and I got like uninvited to a birthday party because it was around the time where we were studying holidays and like school and someone mentioned Christmas. And I was like one of the eager kindergartners, like everyone else in my class who raises their hand, but we celebrate Christmas this way. We celebrate Christmas this way. And I mentioned that I don't celebrate Christmas because we don't believe in Jesus in my, in my culture, because I'm Jewish. And after that, a student was like, all right, well, you don't believe in baby Jesus. So you're not invited to my birthday party. Wow. But at that point, my parents had prepared me for it. So my response was, well, if you're a bigot then, and I don't want to go to your birthday party. (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's some tough kindergarten kid too (laughs) the kids are probably like what does that even mean but he sounds angry (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean later the kid was like oh like never mind like you can maybe you can come to my birthday party and i don't think i ended up going but yeah for me it was more of an indication of like what is this other kid learning in his house because he's not even old enough to understand like what that means necessarily exactly Um, exactly like, so, I mean, I've had the, those difficulties. I've had the experience when I was not much older than that, like in a gift shop on family vacation, getting like followed around a store and someone thought I was just going to steal stuff. Um, and that's something that has continued to happen to me throughout my life, especially when I was when I was younger shopping in like toy stores and stuff, especially if I was with my mom, that happened mm-hmm. on many occasions. So like, I'm, I don't want to say that like, oh, like I didn't have, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't have any difficulties or there aren't any specific unique hardships to being black and Jewish um, in the context of the US. And also at the same time, like when I wake up in the morning, I'm not like, oh, time to face difficulties as a black Jew. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine if we did that? If there was even like like some special Jewish prayer that we wake up (laughs) and we say, because we're facing the world as black Jews, you know, like, wow, that would be just... That would be interesting. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I hear what you I hear what you're saying. You know, I hear what you say. And and I guess and I recognize all of it. And I and because, you know, I can obviously relate to it. It's I'm still I'm a, a, a wee bit gobsmacked about what you said about the, the, the kindergarten incident. But <laughs> bigotry knows no age either. You mm. know, and like you said, it's what you learn in your home reflects you know what you say out in the world and how you think which is sad um yeah and even even when you're talking about walking through the store I've had that happen to me 
once in the United States and I didn't even know what was going on because don't, don't get me wrong. We got our stuff up here. We have our, we have our stuff up here. I personally, actually, that's not true. Three times in my life, I recognized that I was followed. Doesn't mean it didn't happen more times. These are just the three times that I noticed. One was when I was a little girl and I went into the super high-end store. I wasn't that little. Okay, I was a teenager. (laughs) And I went went into this high-end store and they were following me and following me. You know what my reaction was? I picked up an item and I went to the cashier to pay for it. So I ended up with a really expensive pair of socks but it was almost my way of saying, yeah, I can buy something here. So yeah. why are you following me? Don't assume, right? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a very expensive pair of socks. I probably should have <laughs> kept them to this day. One was in the United States and I didn't twig to what was going on. It was about four years ago. And then I turned around and I realized they, I feel like they're gathering around me. So I literally turned around and said, can I help you? As a customer, asking <laughs> that to the person who works. Yeah, I was like, can I help you? And they just like, okay. And the third time was back in Canada. And I was with a friend of mine. I didn't notice. She noticed. She Mm. said, they're following you. Security's following you. I'm like, what? She said, they obviously don't think we're together. And she said, so I've been watching them follow you. So I turned around and I did the, the stare like, yeah, what? And he disappeared. But so I get it. But I but again, I see the world through this black woman. You mm-hmm. see it in a different way. You're walking through this world as a black man. So I, that leads me to asking you, it's going to sound weird, but how's it been? You know, with all that has gone on in the past year. And for me, it's hard to believe that it's a year ago. It feels like ages ago, but it also feels like yesterday. But, you know, all the the stuff that's been going on in the United States, how are you negotiating it? Because it's become almost global, all eyes on the U.S. How are you negotiating this walking through that world? Honestly, it's it's really troubling to see what's happening. Like it has been it has been my entire life. I think it also is now. And I think it's almost amplified because of the way people are almost like forced to constantly be on like a defensive because of social media. So I think that that adds like another layer to it. And it makes it puts more like a different type of personal responsibility on the people who you're interacting with. And also on yourself to choose who am I going to actually like interact with? How much energy am I going to spend on this conversation? And I think also one of the bad aspects of it is that I found myself a couple of times like this shouldn't even be a debate. Like, I shouldn't even be debating whether or not a police officer's first response to a woman or man, a black woman or man, uh, not complying, which is the rhetoric people use, or or a lot of times even complying. Yeah. First response shouldn't be pulling out a firearm and killing them. Mm -hmm. And that that shouldn't even be a debate. Like, you, you, people have different debates on what should be the legal responses and, and all the systems, like, within, you know, the legal institutions. But, like, the fact that, that's so normalized is is troubling and that's the thing that makes me feel anxious and like scared about the future and one of the times i i really realized it was actually last summer after i got to israel in the late summer uh, i was sitting with a couple of friends of mine who i know from university in the us but they're israeli so they're back home for the summer and they're watching it all happen and they're saying like you know we have our racism here we have our issues but 
like seeing everything recorded on video, seeing exactly what happens when people are shot or are, you know, pressed against the ground to the point where they can't breathe for minutes and minutes and minutes on end is just like, it's crazy to them how often it happens. It's not something that should be normalized. It's not something that should seem normal. And there are multiple protests for multiple victims going on all at the same time. And that really made me realize like this, that's not a normal situation in a lot of other parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what you said, I don't think I, it is so powerful what you've just said. And it's that fact that it feels like it's normalized if I'm interpreting it correctly, like almost a sense of, like you said, you shouldn't have to debate something you know, you shouldn't have to debate about whether it is appropriate or not to respond with a firearm. But you're right. There's some sort of complacency, normalcy or something around all of this. And I know when I even heard about George Floyd, my first reaction was, here we go again, mm-hmm. because I think part of me as a black person has come to expect this. And sadly, it's become the norm and it mm-hmm. never should be. Right. It never should be. And it's very disturbing and it is very scary. It is very scary. And you're right. It's not, it is, the United States is unique in that. Racism isn't unique (laughs) to the United States. How it is manifested is sadly unique to the United States. And it's, it's, it's scary. It's scary. Um, tell me, how did you reflect this in your work, in your work as, an, as a musician, as an artist? How did you reflect these things that you were feeling? So I think that one of the pieces that I, that I think was the most blatant or like apparent reflection was my song, Angry Black Man. Um, throughout my whole like music career, I've always, the way I frame it is I rap about things that are important to me. And that's like a wide range of topics. It could be about growing up in Southern California and my favorite taco shops because that influenced me. It could be about, you know, my family's history and my own personal story moving around. It could be about my black and Jewish identity, the parts that I celebrate, the parts uh, that are difficult to talk about when it comes to bigotry. Um, And honestly, in that moment, I just felt a lot of anger and it was like an accumulation of the murder of Amada Arbery and of Breonna Taylor and of George Floyd. And for me, like, I'm just trying to think back, like I wrote the song in like, it took me a little while to actually get to the point where I recorded it because I wrote the song and it was out of purely being like angry and upset. And then I thought to myself, I don't know if like I should release this on its own without like context of being like part of a bigger project, because I don't know how exactly it would be received, because there's also that part of me that I think Black women have to deal with always being viewed as like angry if they raise their voices. And I think also Black men have to deal with in different ways. But I can only speak to my own personal experience that anytime I'm passionate about something or outraged about something, there have been times in my life where I've been kind of dismissed or portrayed as being aggressive um, when really I'm, I'm upset about a situation the same way as I should be. But I had a little, I struggled with it a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to figure out, all right, like I have this song that's very raw and it's important to me. And at the same time, I want to make sure that people still understand it. And eventually, like I decided, I'm just going to release it because this is something that I should be outraged about. This is something that everyone should be outraged about. And if I want to express that outrage for myself, like I'm, I released the song, I didn't like do a bunch of promotion because it was really just me trying to share that piece with the world and, and put 
that, you know, expression of my own like uh, emotions out there. Um, and I, I was like, you know, what? it's justified for me to, to be this angry. It's justified. It doesn't need to be polished or put into any other context. And also that normalization of black emotion, that normalization of black people being able to actually express ourselves was important for me to to take on. And um, it, people appreciated that. Again, like I was I was nervous the whole time. Like, I don't know if this is, you know, proper <laughs> like for me to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I ended up doing it because I, I, I thought I also thought like, OK, how many songs do you listen to on the radio where you hear black people who are expressing their emotions, whatever happens in their lives, in their neighborhoods? Uh, and they talk about it and they talk about violence against fellow black people. Things that are going on in their neighborhoods and people will be making TikTok dances to it and just taking the music for what it is. Someone's raw emotional um, expression. But for some reason, because I was speaking about something that in my mind was more was was substantive when it comes to racism i had this little bit of myself like second guessing myself um not that i necessarily make songs about like violence and stuff yeah but yeah. that was something that was on my mind and i was like you know what that's that's not right that I'm, i should be second guessing it and worried about it when i have my peers who are who are listening to this rapper and that rapper and that rapper and just bumping it in the car and it's promoting violence that in some cases is, is really just like senseless and i'm actually talking about a real issue Still pissed about George Zimmerman Got me thinking about what my second amendment is You can call it justice instead of vengeance This ain't considered murder, this is just a death sentence I'ma stand my ground, you wanna know what self-defense is I won't lose no sleep, the situation's got me restless This ain't no citizen's arrest I ain't aiming for no chest Bearing arms leave you headless Okay, so really and truly When I actually first heard it I struggled with similar feelings that you had when I saw what you had titled it I was like ooh. and because I recognize that we aren't allowed to hold certain emotions as people of color and but then as people will hear it is important to hear that raw emotion and to understand where it's coming from and so when I listened to it for the first time, I was like, I feel you. I hear you. I am you. And so it was necessary. So I'm glad that the outcome of your struggle with it was that you did it and it's out there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people related to as well. And something that I ended up tackling a little bit in the song, like there's a little like skit session, almost like a skit section. Um, towards the end of one of the verses where you kind of hear that, like people, oh, why is he so angry? Because that's what people yeah. always ask. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. like, why do you think? Why are you <laughs> like, so angry? Around. Yeah, it's like, oh, you sound angry. Why are you so angry? And you really want to say bleep and bleep, bleep? Yeah. <laughs> Am I walking the same earth? I know I'm walking the earth with different feet, but tell me, you don't see this? Mm -hmm. You don't see this. Yeah, but like I said, and like you said, there are some emotions that we aren't able to hold and to express mm -hmm. those tropes, angry black woman, angry black man. And it's like, wow, really? Cause I do, I find it my day-to-day -day work. I have to, I have to do, you know, code switching. I have to police the words I say and the tone that I use, which is denying us from being our authentic selves. Right. Yeah. Right. 
But um, I have to say, you know, speaking of your music, you know what hooked me in the first place it was definitely diaspora. <laughs> that oh, I to this day I'll sometimes you know do that. I can't say it out loud because I might trigger it. But I speak to G O O G L E. And I ask her to play it for me and I'm telling you, and I'm like walking around, all I'm missing is like, you know, a giant Israeli flag, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a little one, but you know, <laughs> it was so powerful. And again, it was, you know, it was you, it was you. So tell me about the genesis of that. So th yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, like I remember we've been talking ever since then after you heard that song, you reached <laughs> exactly. out to me so it goes like, way back. I got them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, for me, that was really cool because I didn't know what was going to happen with that song and seeing the reception. And you were like one of the first people who reached out and called me. I was like, oh, wow, like there are people who this really resonates with them. It's not that niche, you know, like a lot of different people are appreciating it. So for me, that kind of was a pivotal moment, I would say one of many pivotal moments. So when I first started working on that song, I had no idea what it was going to be. I was working on another EP called Ethnic. Um, and that was in the summer of 2018. So I was in San Diego at the time. Um, and I was working on this EP called Ethnic about being black and Jewish and, and dealing with that it was a really personal six song EP. And I was trying to incorporate a lot of different sounds that have influenced me that reflected the emotions and all that, because um, I do my own production. So that was all like what I was mainly focused on. Uh, and one day I was like playing around with some of the sounds and I ended up uh, playing Havana Gila and sort of making a, a beat out of it. And for me, it was cool because I know there's like really some cool significance with that song because it's one of the first, if not the first officially like recorded Hebrew songs, Israeli songs on a record. So I was like, oh, there's like a it's significant. Obviously, like it's a song that everyone knows. Yeah, there's also some like historical cultural significance to it, which I didn't um, know. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Like for me, that's that's what I love about the music is figuring out how to put, you know, some little like hidden significance. It gives it more meaning to me and gives it inspiration for me. So I made a beat out of it at first and it was cool. And I was like, you know what? I want to, it was like a faster kind of beat. If I, I wonder if I could even find like the original beat that I made, but I was like, I want to slow it down a little bit um, and put it at like that West coast tempo that I like grew up with. Yeah. And once it got there, I was like, okay, this is it. And then what I tried to do is I wanted to add in different sounds of the diaspora. I wanted it to sound like something that's a, a unique take on this song that was, you know, made and, and often associated with like Ashkenazi Jews um, but it's also like an Israeli song, like it originated here in that form. So I, I wanted to incorporate, you know, sounds of the diaspora from from throughout. So I put in like an oud, I put in all kinds of other instruments. Obviously, like there's some West Coast sounds because that's my diaspora experience. Um, and once I did that, I knew that I had something on my hands, but I was like, I'm not sure exactly what this is. I still need to finish up this other EP. So I'm going to set it aside. So I, I took the beat and I set it aside for a few months. Um who I was working on my EP. And then I would say it was probably fall semester, the following, like a, a couple months later after the summer, uh, when I was at GW and it came to me like the hook, I'm a proud part of the diaspora in my mm -hmm. heart of whole Jerusalem in Africa. And like, those are the words that came to me <laughs> oh. because it's like, it's authentic. Yep. I say like, those words a lot. I say those. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm glad because I feel like a lot of people can relate to that. A lot of people can relate to at least one of those parts. And then together, like they can see the other side of it. That's something that's authentically me and authentically a lot of different people. 
So once I came up with, with those lyrics, I was like, okay, I want to make this song about resilience. I want to make it about being unapologetic about who I am. Um, part of that, honestly, was probably influenced by some of the campus anti-Semitism I dealt with, mm-hmm. but more so from the support that I had from my Jewish community on campus at GW, from like the organizations I was involved in at, at GW Hillel, at GW for Israel, that, yeah, we had to spend time fighting like anti-Semites and going and doing these like town halls and all that. And at the same time, we just enjoyed being around each other and hosting events that celebrated our identity. So I wanted to do something that reflected that spirit of like resilience and putting up, having to put up with all this stuff, but recognizing like that's not going to stop us. So I think that really influenced my lyrics. And from there, I, I wrote the song, tweaked it a little bit. And um, I was actually supposed to record it in December, like early December, the first week of December, because I was performing at a GW Hillel event. Um but my microphone and like interface and all that broke. I had like an extra one I brought with me to college uh-huh. and it broke. I had no idea what was going on. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to have to make sure I have like the lyrics down and ready to go yeah. um, to the instrumental. Cause usually I make like a show mix with like the ad libs and stuff that are still there. Right. I was like, I guess we're just going to do it straight up. And, and I performed it not knowing what people would think and people loved it. It was a group oh. of like a, a, a decent amount of, of like students. And it was kind of a smaller venue. Um, for like a Hanukkah party, Hanukkah mm-hmm. event, and people right. loved it. And then uh, I ended up filming the video about three weeks later when I was on a trip with Hasbara Fellowships in Israel, and then releasing it two days after I got back, I edited the video and released it. And I was like, ah, oh, it's gonna be another cool thing to put out into the world. And then people shared it. And that's really, <laughs> you know, oh, how yeah, it got where yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna play a clip of one of my favorite songs, <laughs> Diaspora. Proud part of the diaspora, we ain't gon' play the victim. They get mad every time we're standing up. I'm proud of my people, what we accomplish. You're crazy if you think some rocket barrages will stop us. Look through our history and we've been through it all. Been through slavery and a holocaust and still standing tall. At the Kotel Western Wall, Sandish Ma meditating on all the populations to whom this song is dedicated. Six Jewish families that resided in Khartoum. My Iraqi brothers and sisters survived the Farhul. The ones who came in 56 from Israel. Now we're thriving. Garim Berushalai. I'm a proud part of the diaspora In my heart of whole Jerusalem and Africa Kicked us out of our land and started gassing us Till we put our foot down cause we had enough Check out the I'm telling you that I, as you are speaking to me, I am hearing it in my head. Like I'm totally hearing it. And a little part of me is also seeing the video, but definitely hearing it, you know, and all the powerful words that you, that you, that you, that you, oh, the powerful words, the powerful words. So you, you mentioned um, GW, uh, George Washington University. So you were very involved in Hillel there. Um, what were your challenges? Because we hear quite often about anti-Semitism on campus. We struggle with it in Canada at um, a couple of, at all of our <laughs> prominent universities are struggling with that, making some resolutions against Israel and all that stuff. And actually, I'm going to give a slight plug to your mother, Brandy. I believe mm-hmm. she is doing some research on that soon. Because I saw yeah. something about it. So it's still a topic that's very much in the forefront. How was it for you? What can you share about your experiences dealing with that? 
So I think that for me, I knew like from the jump when I went to GW, I wanted to be involved in like a Jewish community. I didn't know exactly what that would even look like on a college campus, but I knew like, okay, this is part of my identity. This is part of my heritage. And this is like a chance for me to independently like foster that. Um, So I got involved in Hillel like right off the bat. I went to like an early move-in program. Um, And then shortly after that, got involved with GW for Israel because there were other people who were like in the early move-in program who were were like, hey, like you should come out to some of our events. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to say I was shocked by like any anti-Semitism I faced because I'd heard about it. I dealt with a little bit like of a precursor and, you know, school before that. Um, Yeah, kindergarten. Yeah, kindergarten. (laughs) Kindergarten. kindergarten. (laughs) Yeah. Goes way back. <laughs> Dang. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I I was like, okay, it's just gonna be another environment where I'm gonna have to deal with that. But I was grateful that I had a community right off their bat to support me. I think the weird way it manifested itself was like a lot of kind of obnoxious questions right off the bat. Like I would mention I'm before classes even started, I went to like some orientation type of event. People were like, oh, like, did you already move in? Which hall are you in? When did you move in? And I mentioned, oh, I moved in early with like the Hillel program. Um, And like they asked what's Hillel. I mentioned it's for Jewish students. They're like, oh, you're Jewish. Cool. Yeah. What do you think about Israel and Palestine? Oh, wow, 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 wow. (laughs) Couldn't even wait a beat, eh? (laughs) Couldn't even wait a beat. It's like, dang. (laughs) Going to ask this to every single, like, I know there's a lot of international students because I'm friends with them all. (laughs) Going to ask this to every person about what's going on? You know, they are. You know, they are. That's the sad (laughs) part. They probably will. They might. You I know. think Israel gets more media. No, I'm, I'm, just, so I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, but yeah, like really and truly, it's kind of crazy how that was the next thing out of their mouth. But go on. Like for me, that was kind of my first like, OK, like, am I going to have to say this every time that I mention that I'm Jewish? And I don't even have to mention I'm Jewish because I'm running around with the Star of David. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, So for me, it was kind of like, wow, this is like the normal thing on campus is to feel like you have to in some way justify your identity if you want to be part of certain spaces. So for me, that was that was strange off the bat. It was also weird. We had a lot of um so there's one professor who had some controversy at GW. I don't want to focus on her. Um so like there's some controversy about her and taking on like certain identities that she doesn't actually identify as. Um in one of the first weeks of classes, she said something about like how we have to always be careful about specific travel trips that people go on because they always have like an agenda. And she's like, and for example, birthright is a Zionist trip. And I'm, I'm not really saying anything about that, but it is like, it's a Zionist trip. And that's how they (laughs) identify. And I was kind of new to this whole, like you getting used to people saying Zionism is like a bad word. So I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, birthright is a Zionist trip. Cool. What's your your point? That's why I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, "Eh." like, I don't know if there's necessarily like what she said is correct. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> but, yeah, but she put so a negative like, okay, on is, it, right? It, but it still had like that tinge. Yeah. Yeah. Like she didn't explicitly say that in the moment, but it's but like it's, you, could, you, you could feel that dog whistle. trust your gut. So I was like, trust your gut. Because I can't see yeah. any other reason for saying that. There is no need to say. Right. It's, it's, it's like, why didn't she just say? It's, it's a whole, it's her whole it's the before and after of that statement, right? Like, be careful of intentions in this, right? right? So she's already setting up a negativity, right? And then when you throw that mm-hmm. word Zionist in there, she's tainted that word. And it's like the context of the before and after, like the people who she wanted to hear it a certain way are going to mm-hmm. hear it a certain way. Right, right, right. Yeah, she, um, yeah. They, they've 
they've managed to make yeah zionist a bad word and i think mm -hmm. you know it's interesting how words have changed over the years though you know when i even think of the term terminology that they use for israel and and how important language is when i get deeply perturbed no, offended <laughs> when people, for example, use Israel in the context of apartheid. And I'm like, first of all, know what the word means before you use it. Know what the actual word means mm -hmm. and know that when you use it in this context, you're, in my opinion, and I had to say this at a large meeting of about Israel slash Palestinian issues. And I said, you know, I personally, as a person of color, take offense to this because when I hear the word apartheid, I think of South Africa and I think of apartheid as a legalized system of racism and discrimination. And I said the key word being legal, it was it was a government policy. And I said, I think how I couldn't go with my family back in the um, late 70s, early 80s to Israel, to South Africa. Africa because the people we were visiting were white. And so we would never be able to travel together. Mm -hmm. And I said, that is apartheid. And when you paint Israel with that brush, or for that matter, any other country with that brush, I said, you are actually diminishing what happened in South Africa. And that's yeah. never cool. And we do that with a lot of words. We we're made like, you know, we talked about Zionism being a dirty word and we, we do that. You know, I also don't like the use of the word settlements in Israel. I'm sorry. That's where people live. It's residents. How is it a settlement? And why is it okay to call you know, places in the Shamran settlements, but you should be calling all of Canada a settlement. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to be accurate, because we're sitting on indigenous land, hundred percent. There is no doubt. Yeah. It is pure fact. There's a lot of speculation with Israel. It ain't anybody showing me the actual facts. But I can tell you the fact of Canada, the fact of the United States, is we are sitting on land that we took from the First Nations, from Indigenous people. So who are the settlers? I, I, I think we are in Canada. Just saying. <laughs> and honestly, and yeah, I mean, and honestly, that's another thing that kind of came up on campus is... I was shocked to hear this is like a, a two part thing. One, there were a lot of people who weren't black trying to pit me against myself, like trying to police gatekeep my blackness because of my Jewish identity. And I'll get into that. But there were times where a lot of the people who were involved in like this, this anti-Israel activism were white Americans. And there were times where people who lived in like the Midwest and their families were from England and Ireland and Germany and Sweden like that's where their their family origins were from <laughs> would be harassing my friends who are Jews, Mizrahi Jews. Yeah. Saying like, oh, like you're doing settler colonialism. And my friends would say, how about you? What yeah. are you doing to fix the settler colonialism that you're living on occupied land? Literally, like my my roots come from over there. Like yes. you're literally living on occupied yeah. land. I'm living on my own like, land. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry about it. Yeah. <laughs> and their response, oh, I'm sorry about it. I try to think about ways to fix it. And every day it's on my mind. Like, no, I don't want to hear no. it. About every day it's on your mind when you're calling and you know for the destruction not. of my people. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's not. It's like whatever. Because yeah. you called them out. You called them out. Yeah, like my friends would tell him this and, and they wouldn't have a response. except Oh, we think about it every day. All right, so you can think about this every day while you're t saying that we need to go back to wherever the hell 
we were kicked out of as Jewish people. Like, I don't. So for me, that was also a shocking thing. Like, like you're an educated person. You were able to get the same level of education, you know, to an extent that I was to be able to get into this school and excel and take the same classes and have the same access to the same history books. Mm-hmm. And it's, at that time was 2017. Like we all have the same internet to look yes, up. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we all Google, have the same resources Google is your friend. at our fingertips. Google is your friend. Use it. <laughs> Use it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, it, so that was frustrating for me. It was like, all right, you, there's, you're purposefully being ignorant so you can be racist. Like you, yeah. you've had you had the access to look it up, to read about it. And now you've literally had a person call you out on it and, and educate you about their lived experience when their family was kicked out of. And at this point, it, it doesn't matter because it's a Jewish diaspora experience, mm-hmm. whether it was Europe or or countries in the Middle East or North Africa. Exactly. And like you've heard all of that and you're still going to continue with this nonsense like it. Mm-hmm. That was shocking. I wouldn't say shocking, but that was like frustrating for me to yes. deal with. Um, and then the other part of it was, yeah, I had like I had an experience where there was this one student who was t- trying to like use misuse language about like apartheid and settler colonialism and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially language that historically has been applied to black communities and put that on Israel. And I remember, you know, having a conversation with him. And within the conversation we had, it came up the fact that like anti-blackness, anti-black racism is a universal thing. And it's a thing throughout the world, including in a lot of these Arab countries that you're standing up for criticizing Israel about that literally engage in the black slave trade. And the word that they call black people is the Arabic equivalent of slave as a racial slur. And his response to me talking about this was, yeah, but we, we don't talk about like oppression of black people unless it's related to israel because it's not convenient like he literally said straight wow. up black lives only matter if they're convenient to us wow and i called him on that and he's like well i thought i was going to get somewhere with you but i'm not so i'm just going to leave this conversation so i'm like you're really <laughs> claiming you're gonna you're not black you're not part of my community and then you're going to claim that you have the right to speak about black issues to me to my community to speak for black people and then when black people tell you something you're going to walk away because you can't yeah. convince them to adopt your supremacist narrative. It's, exactly. So for That's me, I was very, like, wow, like very definition of privilege right there. The very yeah. definition of privilege, the right to tell you that was what it. you was should like, be so you're saying gonna, you're... and how you should be thinking. Yeah, it, it, that was that was a weird thing, because I'm like, OK, like you're really fine saying that out in the open. That's the part that was shocking to me. Yeah. It was like You're supposed to be so like educated on the lingo and the jargon and how to talk to people and use like the most recent buzzwords that you see on Instagram. But like you really are going to say something that blatantly racist and exploitative mm-hmm. and still claim to be like speaking for progressive or liberal voice, which is what historically like black communities and Jewish communities in the United States have been, including mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. So it was like, you're really going to speak over me when you're not Jewish. You're not black. And based on what he just said, you're not a liberal or progressive. So. Mm-hmm. And dare I say, not really very literate or educated. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, <laughs> that's throw, the main You point. can throw that in there. I can think of worse things to say, <laughs> but I'm going to take that high road. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. That is something that we seem to be facing more and more and more. I think one of the things about um, the last operation is that I think the liberal, progressive, however you want to tag them, community have kind of been in a little bit of shock because some of the narratives that they held true were challenged during this because I think they found it very hard 
to say this is happening because Israel treats Palestinians a particular way and that it's not anti-Semitism when on the other side of the world, there's this eruption of anti-Semitism at the same time. You know, it's like, and I kept, I remember writing on social media. So tell me this is all about Israel again. Mm -hmm. As you're running yeah. in the streets and hiding in the streets of Toronto and the streets of New York in the... So tell me how this is. And I think it really challenged people who were who had this particular narrative and it made them say, maybe it's not just about Israel slash Palestine. Maybe it is actually people don't like us. Yeah. I was like, wow. Hallelujah. Like, it's like it took you this. <laughs> Sadly, it took you this to come out of yeah. that, that 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 spot you were in. But while we're on Israel. Let's flip it to some cool stuff before, Absolutely. you know, before we all both need to have a drink. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, so you're, you are speaking to me from, I got to be, you know, politically correct. Canada is my favorite place. Okay. Canada is just my birthplace, but you're speaking <laughs> to me from my, my, my other home, Israel. Um, so how is it going in Israel? Other than that you're mask free. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's back for indoors. You have to wear a mask because some oh, of the stuff rates variants. started coming up. Yeah. Okay. I mean, thank God right now, like the hospitalization rates are not going up so much and, and morbidity rates. So I just hope it continues and people are yeah. able to are, are staying safe and yeah. not the severity stays like low. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like outdoors, there's no more mask mandate. So many people are are vaccinated and, yeah. and healthy and and living life so it's it's nice that's refreshing to me i bet but you you are clearly very drawn to israel i'm under the impression you've been like a good chunk of your life it feels like has been spent in israel not just like you know talking about israel living you know, but also being in the land and um and you're back and if i can say you're back hopefully for a long 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 time correct yeah. correct so, yeah. you know, how is it? It's great to be back. And and it's actually kind of funny you mentioned that I actually the first time I came to Israel was after my freshman year of college. So I've, I've been on a couple trips then uh, uh -huh. throughout college and then now I'm, I'm here. So um, but it does feel like every single time I went to Israel, I'm like, all right, cool. Um, this is a good time in Israel. I'll be able to go back to America and maybe come back in a year or so. And every single time, like that time between you know, when I'm in Israel and when I'm in the United States, I'm like, oh, I need to go back sooner and sooner yeah. and sooner. Like is really being drawn to it. It's it's crazy to think about. But it's been great here. Um, I'm living in Hadera, so it's in between Tel Aviv and Haifa. And I've had an amazing chance to practice my Hebrew. <laughs> A lot of chances up here. Yeah. Well, your Hebrew is um, pretty good though. Your accent's good. The the resh, I can't yeah. say it. I always roll it. Yeah, it. <laughs> your your accent's good. My equal other has heard it and he's like Oh, it's not the bed. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> take it. Anyways, continue. So, so I mean, it's been great. Right now, I'm here. I'm really focusing on music. So I've been working with a lot of a lot of artists here, um, especially from around the area. So from around the area of Hadera and, and Tanya, uh, which has been super cool, and just getting a taste of what the music scene here is like. So oh, I'm I'm really wow. looking forward to releasing some of the stuff I've been working wow. on. Wow, are you gonna? You know, I've always been under the impression Israelis love reggae. It's, you know, they do. So are you going to venture into reggae? Or are you going to be that guy? 
You know what? I might. I, I always like incorporating different sounds. So if I could find some artists here who really, you know, do it in like the right way, I'd be. I'd be and down to. That's the key. It's got to be the right way. Yeah. Don't, don't do some weird reggae that's gonna make people like me of Jamaican descent go, "What is he doing?" <laughs> Somebody yeah. steer him away from reggae. You don't want. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's got to be done right. You got to get the authentic. Well, you know, I think it's Ziggy Marley who um, he has ties to Israel, right? Mm -hmm. he, his wife is Israeli. So try and see if you can find Ziggy Marley, man. Honestly, I'd <laughs> if love you to. want to do the reggae thing, try and hunt him down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I, I've always like I've grown up listening to a bunch of different types of music and yeah. like rap is my my main way of expression. But like if you listen to the songs and the beats that I make, I like to incorporate the sounds of the stuff that I grew up listening to, whether yeah. it's like soul music, whether it's Middle East, like Mizrahi music, yes. whether it's, you know, a lot of different sounds. So, um, I mean, I've, I've sampled Bob Marley a couple of times just for like free songs and, and put out yeah. there. So for yeah. me, yeah, I'd, I'd always be open to incorporating. Yeah, there you go. That. There you go. And I have to mention, uh, Noah, excuse me, West Side Gravy, don't know what gravy <laughs> means, is, <laughs> is responsible, is the producer, the creator, the artist behind the theme song for Riv Kush. In fact, I think you called it Riv Kush song or something. And I was like, I giggled. <laughs> but <laughs> you will hear it. And it is glorious and when I first I'll tell you something I you know how people say they love music I truly love music like I can't imagine a world without music yeah. when I'm in the car I play music when I'm in the car with people who don't have on music I think there's actually something wrong with them yeah. <laughs> you know so it's like how do you not listen to music it's a three-hour drive it's a 10-minute drive how do you not listen to music so you can see in my background which the audience can't see, but there's a bass guitar sitting up in the, in the background. Like, I love music. Having said that, when I heard, when I heard what you sent me, Riff Kush, <laughs> I started listening to it. And, you know, my head starts. As soon as the lyrics started, I jumped up. Really? I jumped up. I was like, I jumped up out of my seat and I'm like, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that makes me happy. That's why I couldn't convey it when I sent you like, you know, my comments, because it's one of those things that I felt you have to say it. You know what I yeah. mean? I could have written. Yeah. You know, I jumped and I don't even know if I did, but could have written. I, yeah, I jumped up out of my seat, but I jumped up out of my seat and I was like, wow. that's it. That's it. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. It's been long in the works, so I'm. Ooh, yeah, 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 I'm glad yeah, it came yeah, out right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for that. So thank you for the inspiration, because like we talked about it beforehand. It's like, all right, I need to make sure I do this right. Yeah, so. yeah, and you got it. You got it, because you know you understand. You understand my perspective, and you understand, you know, my whole concept around how I want our voices to be heard and and in the way that I would like it to be heard that we are more than just we are more than just what we look like mm -hmm. we are more than just our ethnicity we are more than just our racial background we are the whole package and we we have our views on everything that are unique to us 
you know, and, and we see it in the world where they do try and pigeonhole us and they do try and say things like, even in terms of Israel, you know, you're, you're black. So therefore you must side with X, Y, and Z, or you must understand the concept around colonialism. And it's like, first of all, yeah, I'm black. I'm also an educated black woman. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to base my opinions on. But don't make assumptions that this is how this is my view because of the skin I walk in. And -hmm. I think it's really important for people to hear us talk about a bunch of different topics. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your thoughts, your words, your music, you with all of us. And, you know, it's always a pleasure speaking to you and god willing i will see you in israel end of this year or next year (laughs) yes because that's my goal because i need to get back to the homeland (laughs) yeah we need it we need it yeah and we need it we need it so thank you so much noah thank you and thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of rivkush It's time we talk about more than just the tragedy The hardships we've overcome and the savagery It's time we focus on what's woven in the tapestry The roots that connect us to our truth and the canopy Of every single branch of our tradition The story that's been told and those yet to be written A tale of persistence and account of achievement All across the globe, every single place that them leaves went Scattered in the wind, never scattered too thin To remember where we come from and the gold that's within Zahab Yerushalayim, Asur Lishkoach Hakdushat Ha'aretz, Shenoten Lanu Scattered in the wind, never scattered too thin To remember where we come from and the gold that's within Zahab Yerushalayim, Asur Lishkoach Hakdushat Ha'aretz, Shenoten Lanu Koach